please remain standing as you are able for the reading of God's word. The text for this morning is from Isaiah chapter 58, verse 13 through 14. The text will be on the screen as I read. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holiday honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. For the month of the Lord has spoken. This is God's word. The kids are going to the, whatever we call this, kids thing. So if you are a child or feel like one, you can either join or help out. Uh, I, if you haven't met me, I'm Jason Anderson. I'm the pastoral resident here. We're currently in the sermon series on the blessed life, where Brian, Brian's especially done all the sermons up until now, and so this week and next, I'll be doing this sermon, and somebody else will be doing next week's sermon, an expert in the field. <laughs> uh, we're, we've been contrasting what the world says is a good life with what the Bible says is the good life, the blessed life. And so this morning, our focus specifically is on work and rest. What is work and rest for? for us and from God's intent. So that's what we're going to highlight and focus on this morning. But I want to first begin by thinking about what I've asked a few of you is what your perception of work and rest is. Now, we got to say right off the bat that work is not just going 40 hours a week to some employer and that's that's not all work is in our lives and in, in the context of scripture. It's a lot more interwoven into our daily lives. So it could also be you who are a homemaker. It could be you as a homeschooler student or somebody in a class going to college, university, master's program stuff. It could be you parenting your kids, schooling your kids, maybe even thinking of you as a son or daughter caring for your aged parent. Maybe it's a spouse caring for their other spouse. Homeowner maintaining your home. There's all these labors that God gives us, and I think in each of these areas, these, this is work. So, in thinking about that, I, I asked a few of you, why, well, why do you work? And all of you gave very good answers. Very spiritual answers, so good job. There's many reasons that people work. And I think we've all, a lot of us have thought about this because on the one hand, it's really easy for us to say, well, I work. So when you're a kid, you know, you do all the, I did all, in all our classes, we did all those surveys of like, okay, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you manipulate the survey to get the job that is going to make the most money. 
I don't know if you ever did that. Um, so that's, that's maybe our initial response sometimes as children as, and maybe when we're Im more immature. We think, well, it, whatever gets me the most money. Of course, on our deathbed, we might reflect on that and think something different. But from youth, there's something in, in us that, that sees work not in the best, con best way. But for most of us, we're kind of in between. We have good, virtuous reasons, and we have vice reasons, right? For a lot of us, we work because we find it meaningful. You can think of just the simple thing of doing construction, right? You, you go to somebody's house. You say, what do you want done? I want to do this bathroom. You say, I'm gonna, give me a million dollars, and I'll do a really nice job. We just watched HDTV. We don't do this unless we go to a hotel, but we just watch this. And they, you know, they did as much fixing up in the house as our house cost when we bought the thing. Right? $236,000 just to make it our own e final eternal home. I can't remember how they called it, but perpetual, eternal, forever, their forever home. It's the most ironic thing in the world, right? But you might do construction and you say, I appreciate feeling the end and seeing, look, what I did. Think of the people that built this building in the early 1900s. They say, look at this. This is beautiful. Or maybe you like solving problems. You go in and there's all these glitches in software and you just debug everything, whatever. I only half know how to talk about software. And you fix it up, right? You get your mind, you get to use your mind as a tool to fix these things. Another reason we work is, is sometimes as a means to an end. So for a lot of us, we work because we want to provide for our families in different ways. Sometimes it's financially. Sometimes it's, you know, we just want to make sure our kids have clothes. Sometimes it's so we have food on the table. Sometimes it's cooking, right? We cook to make food. Or on, in a more vice sort of way, we work to get ahead. Right? We work to get money and be the top of the class, to be the best of the best. And that can turn ugly pretty quick. I was talking to somebody this week, and you know, one of his coworkers or somebody he sees, the person works in a way that denigrates all the people around him. He goes through secretaries like nothing else. Right? You just treat everyone like trash so you can get ahead. Sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. We don't treat people with the dignity that God built into them. Instead, we use people as tools to get to where we want to go. I think this is a healthy exercise for all of us. Ask yourself, well, why do I work? And why do I rest? What's the point of my resting? There's, of course, the Sunday school answers. There's the answers that you're striving towards, but there's also the answers that are built into your heart that you, you ought to ask yourself, is this, is this still there? Maybe not. And then ask a spouse, ask a friend, and they'll say, yeah, you're more idealistic than you realize. We're all a mixed bag. And we should learn to honestly assess ourselves. All right? So there's times when money is tight. When things are the most difficult, some of the worst stuff comes out, Right? You're stressed about, and all you can think about is working hard, and you neglect other people around us, you just come home with the paycheck. And you neglect your family because you're so exhausted. Other times, we might be in a season of depression. Life stinks. 
literally or figuratively or everything and all of the above, right? You're, you just can't even think. You're wondering what you're doing. Working at home, helping with your kids, helping with your parents. Still are times we're pulling our hair out, training our kids, wondering what in the world is going to come of them when they get loosed out into the world. Other times we might simply enjoy our work. We might enjoy making our house that we just moved into a home. We might just be having the sweetest time with our two-year-old, seeing how he or she is discovering the world. You're just loving most of it, except for some of it. Right? Work is a complicated mess. But here's the thing we got to consider this morning. From a Christian perspective, we have to reframe our idea of work and not just think in, in terms of what, is it, what I get out of it. First, we, we should realize that it is a gift from God established at creation. And second, as, as we walk through life, it's also an act of faith. And it's the same thing for rest, too. Rest, we rest for all sorts of reasons. Right? We can look at our play as rest. We can go on Thanksgiving and we can go play football in the snow. If there's snow, I always wish there's snow on Thanksgiving. There used to be. It can be seen as literal sleep, like rest. It's the end of the day, I need to get some sleep. Other times, we think rest is like the phrase, treat yourself. Right? Just go to the, whatever people do nowadays and treat yourself. Right? We can both, both rest badly and rest goodly. In these two buckets, though, again, we just need, we, we have to reframe things and we always have to be brought back to it. What are, what are we doing in our work? Are we viewing our work properly? Are we beginning with the right step? Right? Work and rest in each their own way is a good gift of God from the beginning. And we have the tendency to disfigure them through the ups and downs of life. So we've got to continue to refresh. We've got to continue to re-grasp what is God's perspective for us in working and in resting. So hopefully throughout the rest of the sermon we're going to unpack that. But as we begin, let's pray. Our Father, this morning we come to you and we ask that you would convict us. We pray that you would help us to see where we struggle, but also we pray that you would give us grace, that we would not be stuck in our guilt, but instead be freed, like we were singing today, freed from all these things because we have been freed from sin and death it no longer has a hold on us and so we can even live into a work and rest that is redeemed we pray that we would taste and see that this morning whether we are running fast and enjoying things or whether we are really bearing a heavy burden this morning we pray this in jesus name amen so as we consider work and rest this morning the main idea is simply this both work and rest are gifts from God that we have to labor to enjoy. And we do it 
as an act of faith. So to cover this, we're going to first think about work, think about it, and then think about rest. In each of these two buckets, we'll think about first what it, a little bit of a biblical picture, and that flows right into these ideas that work is both a gift and an act of faith. And then from work, we'll move on to rest and think of the biblical picture, which then flows right into the fact that this is also a gift and an act of faith. So first, let's think about this simple biblical picture of work. And what we've got to do is go all the way back to Genesis 1. Why do we work to begin with? Should we even, the ideal human life, include work? Should we just, sometimes we're tempted, you know, maybe you go to some beach somewhere. I don't understand why, but you go to a beach somewhere and say, this is the life I just want to sit on a beach and do nothing and drink Mai Tais or whatever they do on beaches, whoever they are, right? You think traveling the world in one way or another is the life. This is what we were created for if you, you just enjoy it. Sitting like I was on a beach, avoiding the sand, reading Augustine, this is the true life. I was also reading a really dense tome that was modern. John, I don't know who he was. Some German patristics guy. The fact that I forgot it is how good a book it was. That's my ideal beach time, avoiding sand and reading dead guys. But the answer is actually that uh, work is a good thing and we ought to pursue it. And it's, it's something that God built into us. And it, it's, we see this in the fact that God himself is said to work for six days and then rested on the seventh. And thinking of the six days of God's work the Bible shows us there's a spiritual meaning. Because on, on the flip side, I mean, there's so many different ways to, to understand the mind of God, but Jesus says God's working even, even now. There's a sense in which God perpetually works and is perpetually resting. But this six days of work is a sign for us. It, it, it instructs us that it is good for us humans to work. And not only that it's good for us, but it's a gift for us. And where we have time to walk through the whole rest of Scripture, we'd see that there's this biblical pattern for work and that it has been used for good, but most oftenly been abused. And we see this today even, maybe even in your family, some people are workaholics. They could work less, but they decide to work unending hours through the weekends. Sometimes you can't avoid it. Sometimes you can. On the, on the other side, some people are lazy. Some people do not work heartily. Sometimes it's because of their motivation. Sometimes we're afraid. Sometimes we're timid in work and we don't even know what it looks like to pursue meaningful employment and diligent work whether it's in our homes or whether it's in a workplace somewhere. Sometimes we do our work out of pride to make a name for ourselves. Think of the Tower of Babel as an example of that. They build this tower to make a name for themselves. Is that a good use of work? Well, but what is work for? 
if it's a gift that God gave humanity at the creation of the world, it means that we can find meaning in what we do, even though we often don't want to. I feel like this is the season, at least in my life, every fall, that's what I mean, every fall in my life, I feel depressed about working. And it's probably because school said this in me from an early age. You wake up, you catch the bus at 6.50, and you just hate that, that fall feeling. I have to go to, work, go to school again. I have to go to school again. And soon, I mean, I like the weather. I like the cold, freezing feeling that the bus stop reminds me of. Right? But we, we often are tempted to not like work. Right? Work doesn't make a person a human, but work does give us direction in life. And you see that any, anytime somebody just sits in their home and does nothing, there's something missing there. You're like that old lady in Pollyanna, if you've watched that movie, which I watched a lot because my sister liked it too much. Right? There's that old lady, and Pollyanna really transforms her life, I think, somehow. But so often, when, when we become isolated and we don't have productive, we don't use our hands or our minds, we atrophy. It's because God gave us work as a gift. And not only that, God has individually gifted each one of us. And we use our gifts to bless the world, you could say, around us. And as we give our gift of work, we also direct glory to God. This is a hard thing, but we can find work meaningful wherever God has put us. Think of the humble work of farming. It's one of the original labors, you could say. Most of us don't do this anymore. It's anything but plain. You could, on the one hand, think of it as a, the most terrible thing in the world. There's poop, there's sweat, there's heavy labor. If you have animals, you're pulling cows out of... Amy's dad has cows that keep giving birth and shows us, warning, explicit video, pulling a cow out of the cow. How do you... I don't know. She can show you the video. It's gross. But then, there's also a dignity in that work, isn't there? At harvest time, you collect the grain... You process it and you bake it and then you get glorious food. No matter how heavy the burden, no, no, matter, no matter how disgusting a thing is, we can also see God's glory refracted in our work. But it is not always easy to carry this burden of work. It doesn't always feel like the blessed life. If we were to stay forever in Genesis 1 and 2, maybe it would. But Genesis 3 happens. In Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve sin and sin and death spread to all humanity, that looms over all that we do. When Adam and Eve sinned, humanity distorted that original creation and that intent, that work was good of itself completely. And it is still tainted by sin. You, we can all commiserate in each of our works. One of my jobs as a teen, I catered. 
this, I'm not going to tell you the name because looking back, my boss used me to cheat the IRS through various schemes. I wanted to pay my taxes, but he, of course, couldn't give me a W-2 because I didn't make any money. And he got mad at me when I asked for a W-2. No, no, you don't need that. Somehow I had to reconcile my bad boss with me trying to be honest myself. I don't know how I did it. I didn't file my taxes. I, I didn't make it. I don't know how much. I, I didn't make that much money anyway, so it's, I don't know if it's fine. You can come convict me later. But you might also work for somebody who is abusive. You might be a parent and endure a lot of pain and difficulty. You might have parents that you have struggles with. The ground has thorns and thistles. The keyboard gives carpal tunnel. There's no way to avoid the, the spread of that curse. So work is a gift, and there's, it's a, there's a struggle there in our age, but we, we have to understand that it, as we work in this age, it's also an act of faith. The Bible talks about this in a lot of different ways. Because we've been redeemed, because we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into his marvelous light, we work for a different reason. It's not just about ourselves. It's not just about making sure that I have a million dollars in my, I think I'm supposed to have a million and a half dollars to two and a half million dollars by the time I retire. I mean, that's different. But, right, it's not just about ourselves and padding our retirement accounts, which can be all fine and good. Instead, the Apostle Paul teaches us that our work is a service. There's this passage in Colossians, in, in Colossians 3.23, says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. And this is somebody, he's talking specifically to slaves here. Even a slave can see their work as something as serving Christ, not simply their master. No, he's not your human master. Jesus is ultimately your human master. Work at it with all your heart. For, for the Christian, any of our work is transferred into service. And for the Christian, service is, not, is, is actually worship. So we, we have to reframe how we view what we're doing, even shoveling poop like I did to get married to Amy. True story, the stall needed to be shoveled out. And well... I was a young and innocent guy who was in love. And I shoveled out a poop stall and filled two manure spreaderfuls of poop. Horse poop. It's not so bad. Right? So our humble labor is transferred into an act of worship. Just think of a guy who's head over heels over a girl. You're going to shovel poop until you get married. So that means even the most dreaded task is transformed into an act of faith, to an act of worship and gratitude to God. And this is at least the attitude that we pray toward. 
It's not something that we do every day. We're tempted daily by our sin. But we pray towards it. Yes, Lord, I want to be serving you in this right now. This means you can still work for and respect that difficult boss because you're serving Christ, not him. He carries the dignity of God's image even in his, his wickedness. You're serving Christ. This means you, even if you're the lowly person who everyone looks down on, Christ sees you. Work knowing that what you do is meaningful in Christ. That means that, that mom or dad, you're, you're struggling raising your kids. Your work is meaningful through those sleepless nights. You're serving Christ. He sees you. He knows you. It means you who are stuck in a job that doesn't align with your skill set, whose company mission is ridiculous, you don't believe in it, your work is intrinsically valuable because you are serving Christ. In this journey we call life, the end of it all matters. And the end of our work is not simply to make money. If we call ourselves a Christian, our end is eternal rest with God. We must take care never to make any one place God has put us our permanent home. If you're serving Christ, your home, the end of your work is not the city of St. Paul or Minneapolis, but the heavenly Jerusalem. Our citizenship is in heaven. Someone said then about our current work, the best thing you, for you to do is to work hard in the direction of being put in a good place. Work hard knowing that the reward for your faith is eternal life. Now for us to finish the picture of work, you have to include rest. When, we, when God gave us that work of rest, He also work, gave us the gift of work, He also gave us the work of rest. So Genesis 2, that's the end of the creation account, the first creation account. It says in chapter 2, verse 2, by the seventh day, God had finished a work He had been doing. So on the seventh day, He rested from all His work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it He rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Again, this is a sign for us. It spiritually teaches us that he not only made us to work as if we're to work seven days a week for 365 days a year, but that we also ought to take time physically to rest from our labors. This is built into the fabric of creation. And when we don't have it, we know it. And not only is it six days of work, seven days of rest, but God calls humans to rest every seventh day, but then Israel, he called Israel to let the land rest one year out of seven, which they never did. God told Israel to gather seven feasts of the year because it's a sign of God's rest, all these feasts. Rest is an integral part of creation. It's an integral part of God's people. And this, we know this, we all sleep. And if we don't sleep, it's pretty rough. We all, when we're work, take breaks. OSHA tells us, take 15-minute breaks every four hours. 
And if we're forced to work beyond what we can bear, we call it slavery. We all know the need for rest. And I think naturally we know that night's sleep is a gift for us after a day's work. Now there's plenty of biblical images where we see rest as a gift. The most vivid picture is Israel entering the promised land. This is an essential image of rest. God gave Israel the land. They enter into it, and if they follow God's law, He would give them rain. This would be a land flown with milk and honey. It's a sign of God's rest. It isn't a coincidence that the book of Hebrews in the New Testament then connects the idea of entering the promised land with Christians entering into God's rest. When a Christian puts their faith, when a person puts their faith in Christ, repents of their sins, they, in a sense, enter God's rest. He or she is said to have entered the promised land. They have come to the city of the living God. They have become citizens of the heavenly city. It's a gift. But it's also, like work, an act of faith. When God said, you got to rest Israel once a week, one time a week, he super duper meant it. You were not to do any work. And it was pretty strict. You were to trust in the Lord for provision. So you collected food, uh, extra food on Saturday, well, it would be thir- fr- whatever day it was, Friday, so that on the Sabbath day, on Saturday, you could just rest on the Sabbath. You worked the soil for six years, and you trust God in, to provide for that seventh year. Israel never could exercise that act of faith. Part of the explanation of the 70 years of exile in Babylon is that so that the land could rest. Read the end of Chronicles. You work the soil for six years and trust in God's provision in the seventh year. Our work and our rest is an act of faith. You can feel like there's no way for us to take a break. You can think Israel thought, there's no way for me to to take a break for the seventh year. How am I going to provide for my family? I have to do that. We similarly feel like we have to do more work to provide as if we are the great provider and not God. We feel like the dishes are not going to wash themselves. Now, we as Christians are not bound to the Sabbath law, Sabbath as law, so that's good. You can pick up sticks on the Sabbath and not get killed. But there is a truth for us to receive in it. It is a good to work hard on it for six days, but then work hard to make the seventh day a day of rest because that's how God made us. And we usually apply this to Sundays, the day we weekly delight in the resurrection of Christ. Now, one thing we might struggle with is that it's hard to know what the Sabbath actually means. It'd be easy for us to say, well, Sabbath means, well, I'll go to church or whatever, but then go home and watch football, fall asleep, eating Cheez-Its, eat frozen pizza for the night and watch Netflix. I don't know if that's what you do. I mean, that might be what I do. I won't. Here, here we can rely, though, on something beyond 2023 20, habits. 
in the historic church, there's a healthful definition. Sabbath rest isn't just putting your feet up and playing games. The New City Catechism says this. What did God require in the fourth commandment? That's the Sabbath. That on the Sabbath day, we spend time in public and private worship of God, rest from our routine employment, serve the Lord and others, and so anticipate the eternal Sabbath. Notice how it teaches that the Sabbath ought to be infused with public and private worship and service. See, Sabbath is about finding rest in the very act of worship. This is one thing that struck me. I I lived in Israel for a year, and in the Jewish tradition, you think, well, Jews, they keep the Sabbath. And what this, that means is all the things you sh- the Jews shouldn't do, right? They don't turn the lights on and off. They don't turn the burners on and off and all of these different rules, right? And I was a Shabbos guy, so I like clean people's apartments on the Sabbath, which is kind of not okay, but I think it's okay. So they paid me money to, to do all the work that they couldn't do on the Sabbath. It's only rich New Yorkers that do this. Um, but anyways, outside the Jaffa Gate, I would go down and, you know, clean somebody's apartment for a bit. But the, the main thing about the Sabbath isn't all those rules. The main thing about the Sabbath is actually getting together with God's people and worshiping. Singing the Torah aloud. Feasting together. Just like our work is reframed as service, And worship, in a similar way, our rest has to be framed within the context of worship and service. Because in resting, as we we rest, we're preparing for the eternal Sabbath. Now, as as a pastor for seven and a half so years... And church staff, likewise, it's, we have this odd bit. Sundays can easily feel like a heavy day of work. So it's the day that we especially work hard for, right? But in a small way, even somebody like me or Kim or Allison or Brian or Josiah, there's a sense in which we, as we participate in the worship of God, find rest in our labor. It's not easy And we're often exhausted and crash when we go home. But there's a sense in which we also, too, have to imbibe that habit of resting in our worship of God. Now, there's something that I've found essential in any meditation on work and rest. And it's how Christ transforms it. We've seen a few different ways that Christ transforms it. And this is one that really helped me when I was younger in jobs that I didn't like, like the one where I didn't actually have a W-2 and I wasn't actually a worker. There's a sense that when a person becomes a Christian, they're beginning to enter God's rest and so can experience God's rest every day and night. Even while we work. The sentence I go to is in Hebrews, now we who have believed enter that rest. Dot, dot, dot. The belief includes repentance and faith, especially in that context in Hebrews. When you believe that Jesus died and rose for you as a sacrifice for your sins, 
When you repent and live by faith in Christ, when you know Him as your great high priest who empathizes with our weakness, we also claim this truth that we have entered God's rest. And so we can work from a place of resting, even though we're not fully experiencing this rest here and now. You could call it an already but not yet rest. That means we got it now even as we look forward to even, an even greater fulfillment. And just to test ourselves and just to like tra- think about it, just think of the most crisis point, the biggest crisis point in your work. Like when I was catering, it was the worst day of my life. Or say, you know, cleaning pig pans and getting pig guts all sprayed over me. When it was pastoring, it was something else, right? Some counseling situations, or sometimes nothing. I come to Sunday morning, and the song leader didn't show up for some reason, and I have to lead songs and preach, and Amy has to play the piano, and whatever else. You know, like just think of the most Christ. I'm just, you could think of your own situation, right? Well, even in that point of crisis, the trial, the difficulty, you can experience and know the rest of God because... He has saved you. So on the one hand, we can work for six days and rest on the seventh. Remember, taking care of a home is also work. So you might work five days in a job and maybe one day you just mow the lawn and you got to fix these things and that thing and the other thing and cook some food and all that stuff. I think the best, I think the blessed life right now includes cultivating that kind of habit as best you can in this broken world. And it's not easy. And it's going to be uneven. And it's going to be a mess. And there's lots of prudential things you can think about as you think of both your work and the rest. One thing, talking to people this week or last week, they said, this is a, I thought this was a helpful thing for resting. Those who labor with their minds should Sabbath with their hands. Those who labor with their hands should Sabbath with their minds. Right? That's a really great way of thinking about rest. And you can go on and talk with each other and think there's a lot of ways, there's prudent ways of resting and working. But it's also important to learn to cultivate a heart of always resting in your work even because you have already entered the city of the living God. God has raised you up with Christ and seated you in the heavenly places. You who have believed have entered that rest even today. So this is a soothing balm for when you can't actually have that habit of five, six days of work and one day of rest. When you're forced, like my dad, to work 12-hour days, six to seven days a week for months on end because somebody signed a contract that the company couldn't keep. Of course they did that, right? This is a healing hope to you parents who are enduring sleepless nights and days, unceasing labor as you raise your kids. This is a hope for you who work day and night caring for your aging parents. This is what you can cling to when you feel like you're in the most dead-end job in the whole world. Find rest for your souls by faith in Christ, even in your work. How can we do such a thing? I think there's two things. First, we can do this because Christ has already lifted our burden. Just think of that great Christmas passage. The government is on his shoulders. If you don't know that Christmas passage, just listen to Handel's Messiah. 
right? He's taking the government on his shoulders. His yoke is easy and light because he has borne our sin and our sorrows. God has worked in this world in this way himself. He's both always working, like Jesus says in John, and also he's always at rest. Someone said God both rests and acts simultaneously. Anyone, after all, who acts without effort is resting in the very activity. God's work is rest because he does it without effort. And this light work is transferred to his body, the church, through Christ. To take on Christ's yoke, we've got to let go of things. We've got to be happy to limit ourselves and realize, you know what? This is what I can actually manage. And in faith, I'm entrusting myself to God, to Christ. I suppose we've gone on for long enough. As we close, I want to I, I challenge you to reframe how you view your work and rest. The passage that we read this morning was from Isaiah is one sign of our anticipated rest that we'll one day fully delight in. If you heard or read on the screen, there's lots of ifs. If you delight in the Sabbath as God intended. If you experience that rest that God gave Israel. Then what's the case? You're going to worship. You're going to have joy in God. That passage from Isaiah looked forward first to the work of Christ who freed His people to both work and rest with joy, but also anticipates the day when one will, will participate in that eternal day of rest. Right now we see in a mirror dimly through the mess of this world, but one day we'll see face to face and experience that in a way that we can't hardly even imagine. May we walk by faith, find meaning in our work and rest as we seek to worship God in all of these things. Blessed are those who work serving the Lord and worship as they rest. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask this morning that You would cut to the quick to our hearts that we would not simply take this as information to be added and collated, but instead it would be something that we can take up and apply and meditate and muse on as we consider the glory of what Christ's death and resurrection has wrought and brought in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.